G'day guys, welcome to today's Noob Spiro podcast. Now chances are you could be exactly like Turbo and I are and want to get better at your spearfishing. You're in the right place. This is the show where we interview experts and authorities from all around the world and get their hints, tips, tricks and advice to improve your spearfishing. And today's show is fantastic for that. We speak to uh, David Hoshman from Spirit Charters over there in the US. He has been requested from a couple of listeners. So just a quick hello to Savas Valas and Austin Barr. Both of these guys requested um, David Hoshman. After talking with him, I knew exactly why. The, the dude is just phenomenal. Uh, if you're interested in um, hunting striped bass, this guy's like the man. Um, he puts guys on the fish. He knows the techniques, and we we cover a whole lot of ground with him in this interview. Uh, he's an ex-commercial fisherman as well, so his his understanding of the marine environment is just uh, excellent. And to top all that off, he's just a he's just a wicked, um, lovable, awesome to chat to sort of bloke. And uh, Turbo and I had an absolute ball chatting with him. So that interview just in a second. Before we get there, had a really cracker review on Amazon. 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, which is also available on iBooks now. NJ McEwen, he says on Amazon, a really good collection of tips for spearfishing. The book is well written and the authors have a good sense of humour that makes it an easy read. I'm new to spearfishing and this book has lots of information that will help me improve. I've also been working my way through the New Spirit podcast that the authors run and although, although it is not necessary to understand the book, I'd recommend readers also listen to the podcast, mainly because they're good both in informative and an entertaining manner. On the podcast, they interview renowned spearfishers and lots of the tips are direct from their mouths. A lot of the tips are covered in the podcast, but the reason I like this book is because it's a concise collection of the best tips from over 40 hours of interviews and triggers my memory of the more in-depth discussion on the podcast. Also, having the points itemized helps me to pick one or two points I want to work on when I go for a dive rather than trying to work on 10 things at once. He says, strongly recommend for all podcast uh, spearfishing enthusiasts, particularly for those that are newer to the sport. So, really good review. Thanks, man. It made me blush. Uh, right, Curdy in Australia gave the podcast a review on iTunes. Now, this does big favours for us. It helps other people just like you find the show. So, thanks, Curdy. He says, this podcast has proving more, improved my diving dramatically. I binge listen to all the old episodes over a few weeks and I'm completely caught up now. I take notes on my phone to further research anything the guests or the hosts talk about or suggest to do. Over the last four months, I've gone from a 5 metre pot shot diver to a 12 metre plus diver with over 1 minute 30 dive times and good fish to show for it. All thanks to the information these guys have put out in the podcast. Keep up the great work. What a phenomenal review. Thanks, Curdy. That one also made me blush. Uh, and another quick review here from United States. Every week, Shrek and Turbo talk about tips and tricks that you can use to improve your spearfishing. There are also lots of laughs. So thanks, man. Uh, two cracker reviews. So thanks, guys. Um, also, like Turbo's written a cracker article, article on Noob Spiro. Uh, it's available right now. If you pump into Google Noob Spiro Spearfishing Deep, you can get um, like five actionable tips um, that Turbo sort of pulled out of the Brandon Hendrickson interview. It's a really um, nice way he's sort of laid it out and it's kind of um, just sort of boiled it down. It's kind of like what our book does, but it's just from Brandon Hendrickson's interview, but he did a really good job of it. So just pump into Google Spearfishing Deep uh, Noob Spiro and that should come right up. I also read uh, a book called Deep by James Nestor, and I also got him on for an interview as well that will come out in the next few months, but uh, uh, Deep, uh, what the ocean teaches us about ourselves and 
Uh, this is a phenomenal book. Um, so I've wrote a book review about that. If you want to learn a bit more about that, pop, type in deep book review, Noob Spear, and that'll also come up. So anyway, longer intro today, guys. Let's get into this interview with David Hoshman. Sorry for droning on a little bit, but uh, enjoy this episode. Turbo and I sure enjoyed chatting to him. So thanks to Savas Valas and Austin Barr for recommending David. Here it is, the interview. Today's podcast brought to you by Audible. Now, you can check out uh, Audible. It's basically audiobooks. If you like the New Spirit podcast, you're probably going to like listening to a book. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro to get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial. Now, some of the audiobooks that Turbo and I both like are the 4-hour series by Tim Ferriss. Now, there's the 4-hour body, the 4-hour workweek, the 4-hour shift. They're all good. His latest book is uh, Tools of Titans. It's unfortunately not an audio version yet, but definitely check out uh, the 4-hour workweek. It's friggin' hilarious. I also would like to listen to The Undisputed Truth by uh, Mike Tyson. I think that would be a great uh, read. And also Bigger, Leaner, Stronger by Michael Matthews. It's a it's the simple science of building the ultimate male body. And uh, I definitely need that. But uh, you can check this out. Get a book for free. Uh, just pump in audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Give it a blast. Check it out. Support the Noob Spiro podcast. Guys, support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with today's sponsor spearfishing.com.au that's right you can use the code noob Spiro and save $20 on all purchases over 200 if you're looking for that next spear gun or wetsuit then spearfishing.com.au has got a huge range of equipment for you to go and check out there's good reviews on there about everything from booties to budgie smugglers so enjoy and get hold of something good if you live here in Australia check out Adreno's physical stores in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane and join over 60 underwater experts to get advice about everything you need for equipment. Thank you for shopping with our sponsor, spearfishing.com.au, and supporting the Noob Spiro podcast. Welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. Today, guys, we're chatting with David Hoshman from Spirit Charters out there in uh, New York City. Is it New York Rhode City? Island. Rhode, Island. Uh, Rhode Island. Close, close enough. That's why I do the research, and uh, <laughs> I should have passed that on to you, mate. Uh, I've got it. So, I've got uh, it here. I just, I just wanted to say New York City, actually. But um, no, it's, a, it's a really, it's really good to have you on today, David. Uh, we've we've had a couple of listeners request you, Savas Vallis and Austin Barr. Austin's got a charter with you coming up soon, so really awesome to have you with us today. And uh, I believe you've been working all week, and you had a charter today, a charter yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in your world? Yeah, so we're just uh, out here shooting bass and everything else that we can come across, you know, that looks good and tastes good. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, running, I'm running charter out to Block Island, and uh, we're hunting bass. Yesterday, uh, we had a big day. They had the uh, Tri-State Pole Spear Spearfishing Tournament. And uh, my boat took first, second, and third. Yeah, it was awesome. And Rob Navertail, who's a phenomenal spear fisherman, uh, he shot a 53-pound striper on the pole, which is the third biggest ever shot. The other two bigger were mine. And fortunately, <laughs> or unfortunately for him, it lost two pounds in the process of transport, and so he didn't break my record. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can't be too upset. You don't look too upset about that. <laughs> uh, I'm not too upset. He came close. I felt kind of bad for him, but not too bad. <laughs> isn't that isn't that funny how fish do lose a bit of weight with just a you know you know like a couple of hours in the in the esky? They lose quite a few pounds sometimes. I mean. 
Turbo's fish go from being like three or four pounds to two two pounds by the time we get back to the boat <laughs> ramp, David. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because he's Australian. Yeah. Look at him. I like to say I got a really good eye because I can shoot really small fish. You see, yeah. it's just not a challenge shooting something at sixty-eight pound. All you need is long arms. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. So we were chatting a little bit with you before we we started recording, and uh, you said you started when you were eleven years old. You're fifty-one now. So I mean, even in Turbo's maths, that's forty years of spearfishing. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Yeah, so I started, I, I grew up down in Fairfield on the water, and in the summertime I had nothing to do, so uh, I would drag my uh, aluminum boat out with a pole spear, and uh, my mother's uh, hot pink uh, polka dot wetsuit with breast cups in it, and I'd wear that because it was the only thing I had, <laughs> and it kept me warm enough, and I'd shoot fish just about every day, you know, and so it just evolved from there, man. Yeah, and then I got into tournament fishing and deeper water, and uh, you know, kept taking it to another level, and uh, I ran the circuit in the Northeast for about 10 years and gave up on that and started the charter. Uh, I've also fished commercially for striped bass for about 25 years. Sounds awesome. We're going to try and dig into striped bass with you for the veterans' fault, but um, yeah, so these fish you caught just sort of yesterday and today, see, the biggest was over 50 pounds. That's uh, well over 20 kilos in, in, in our sort of southern hemisphere speak but um that's a that's a huge fish are they quite often that big up, up there yeah the, the, we have we have uh we're the mecca of striped bass on block island it's got uh it's world-class fishing but the 50 pounds are hard to come by uh and the 60s of course are mm. even harder but uh this this year we put uh 1050s in the boat uh wow. so far we still got another month and a half to go and uh it's been a good year it's uh you got to know where they are. You got to know when they move on the tides. Uh, you got, you know, there's a lot of factors to it, but if you can keep track of them, and I've done it long enough to keep track of them, it's just a matter of running into them, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it sounds like a sustainable fishery. You're doing it year on year. Um, so that's pretty cool. All right. What, what's sort of like um, maybe a memorable fish you had starting out in that, um, was it a polka dot um, breasted wetsuit you were wearing? Um, what, what was a memorable fish you took in those early days? Well, you know, I mean, I recall the first time, I, you know, back then the guns were different, you know. So I remember one, one of the things, you know, it's always the worst thing that sticks in your head, you know. So yeah, yeah. I was out on block time with a with a 65 Panther shotgun, uh, 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 a handgun, uh, I think maybe 75. And I remember laying on the bottom and this big striped bass swam up to me and I fired it. It hit him in the head, bounced out. He kind of looked at me and took off. And I thought, man, I need more. I got to I got to upgrade this equipment. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, 40 years ago, your, your equipment options were far more limited than they are today. Was that kind of one of the big obstacles you had um, starting out? Absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't even get our hands on long fins, you know, for a while. Uh, and then they finally started becoming readily available. Uh, guns were, you know, we didn't have reels on guns. The, the reels that we had would sink the guns, which was always a nightmare, you know, and a, a, a dangerous, you know. So, yeah, it was tough. I mean, we, you know, so as the equipment got better, we got better too. And, you know, internet helps us all no matter how much we know, you know. What about freediving? Did you did you have a buddy or like a, a mentor that give you some, some tips and some good advice starting out? Or how did you sort of um, learn freediving, the freediving side of it? Well, I started freediving on my own just because I had that opportunity to do it, and it was uh, I didn't have tanks or anything, so I did it for a long time. But then I, I joined a tournament, 
down in Rhode Island one time thinking, you know, I, I can shoot fish. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big dog at this stuff. I've been doing it a long time. And man, I learned some lessons that day, you know? So I went out on a kayak. I've never fished off a kayak. I had the wrong guns. Uh, and, uh, these guys came in with stringers full of big fish. And I had, I think I had four fish that didn't make the measurement. <laughs> Friending, I befriended the right people, John Warnock and uh, Ted Warnock and John Murphy and Dave Plykus, uh, or Sipley rather. And uh, we, uh, I learned a lot that summer and I came back the next year in the Connecticut Open and won it. But th- those guys taught me well. Ah, cool, cool. All right, cool. Should we go to uh, memorable fish? Yeah, yeah. My most memorable fish? David. Yeah. i tell you a funny yeah, story. My, my most memorable fish was two years ago. Two years ago, I went out commercially fishing, and it was blowing 35 knots out of the east, and the, and the, and the current was running to the west. And, well, it was, running, uh, it was running north, so it was kind of quartering the wind. And I went out. I ran up on this area that was uh, real fishy, you know, and uh, I marked fish. I jumped over the side, and I had my uh, friend Arnie driving the boat. <clears throat> And he would bring the boat back to me once I surfaced. Yeah, so I get down. I just had a bad dive. You know, I rushed the dive. And, and I'm looking at these huge stripers and clean water swimming all around me. And uh, I, I don't take the shot. I bail out and I come to the surface. But when I surface, I look over and the boat is 400 yards downwind. Oh, now, you know, my. it's eight, nine foot seas. It's a nasty day. And finally, he starts coming back. I jumped in and I said, what's going on? And he said, uh, the motor wouldn't start. I said, oh, man, you know, the motor always starts, right? So I... I, I, I'm kind of fixed on the fish now. I run back up. I go back up to the same number. I jump and I drop down. I sh- look them over and I shoot a 49 pounder. I come up. I pit the fish. I look up. Barney's 400 yards away. So now I figure I, I realize what's going on. I start swimming towards the boat as I'm handling this fish. And I he anchors the boat. And the way the wind is quartering, I make it about 30 yards from the boat. And I can't quite make the boat. And I swing around into this five-knot current. And I just start kicking towards the boat the best I can, but losing ground. Oh, so I yeah. swam for about three and a half hours. Oh, After wow. After three and a half hours, yeah. I finally see the Coast Guard cutter come, coming around, you know. And it's, I could see the boat every now and then because the seas are big enough that the boat would disappear. And then I'd see the flag pop up. And I had the flag up high, but still it was big waves. And uh, so about three and a half hours into it. Uh, I see the Coast Guard start coming and coming into the wind. And I'm thinking, what are these guys looking for me in the wind? I'm affected by the current, you know, in the water. And so another half hour, now it's starting to get dark. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to spend the night here. Well, they finally, they finally start to cut right, and they find me. And they're running this 20-foot pontoon boat with three guys and helmets on and the face masks and all, you know. And they roll up on me. <laughs> and said, they roll up on me. They go, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm all right. And they said, uh, can you get in the boat? I said, sure, I can get in the boat. Can you hold my gun? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll take your gun. I said, what about this fish? Will you take this fish? And he said, what? And I <laughs> He said, I guess so. I throw this 49-pound bass in the boat, and they're all standing with their feet up <laughs> to their chest, standing out the fish because it's this little narrow boat, you know. Uh, they, they, were, they were laughing so hard they couldn't believe it. They were shaking my hand when they left, you know. <laughs> so you refused to let that fish go for four hours of paddling. Yeah. I would let you. it go. Yeah. Good. That's unreal. Good on you, man. Good story. But- that, that, if we could, could we, uh, could we talk about a couple of your record fish? Um, particularly because Shrek and I love the pole spear. We're both experts at it. <laughs> I think 
<laughs> That's definitely. I'm a not joke. even sure I've shot anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he- experts just to drip under pressure. Yeah. So, mate, let's. Uh, why don't we? T- why don't we have a chat about your uh, your 52.4 pound uh, pole speed stripe bass record? So uh, we're. I was actually fishing with a charter that day. And uh, we rolled up on the fish, and uh, I, I, I will often get into the water with these guys. Um, I drop down, and I fall right into this school, massive school of striped bass. I mean, the way that we have them here is they bowl up in a 200-yard area at times, 20 feet off the bottom, 50 feet of water. And so it was a, it was a similar scenario to that. And they're just shoulder to shoulder, these fish just milling around in circles. So I come down over the top of them. I can see big heads. I know I know I'm on good fish. And um, I cock the gun on the way down. I drop in without kicking. As I fall through them, the fish scatter. You know, you hear the noise. Boom, 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 all those big tails going. And I lay down and I put a rock on my off shoulder. And I've got a perfect setup, okay? i got a wide open area in front of me. And when these fish scatter like that, they'll kick the bottom up so that you get small pieces of shell and sand floating in the, in the, uh, in the water column. And it actually helps significantly to hide you, camouflage you. So I've got the perfect scenario. So I lay there and I wait. I've got a good breath hold. Uh, I'm watching 40 pounders go by, 40 pounders go by, you know, good solid high 40s. And I see in front of me this fish coming out directly at me, coming into the school almost. And I've got fish now swimming over my back. I've got them swimming off my side. They're all around me going in different directions. But I'm focused on this one fish that is enormous. And I'm looking at him as he comes, and I'm, you know, sometimes when they're when they're 15 feet away, you you question whether how you know whether you're sure whether you know how big they are. Yeah, and the closer he got, the bigger I realized he was. This fish was big, wide, heavy fish, right? So he comes in. I figure I got this fish. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna put the pole down his throat, you know, like he's just coming <laughs> heavy, you know, and. Uh, and he's coming, he's coming, and he's and all of a sudden, now I realize he's in the seventy pound class. Okay, as he as he gets to a you know that pole spear, you got to be so close to him. I mean, you can't you, you can't shoot him far, or you can't shoot him ten feet because you just cripple him. You know, so mm. I need him to get a little closer, and he's he's at about ten feet now. And at about ten feet, he senses something's wrong. I can see it, and he sort of almost it almost seems like he stops. Like he just kind of almost, you know, threw his dorsal and pectoral fins out and like stopped himself, starts to make that slow right hand turn. And he's just far enough away that I can't, I just not willing to take the shot with the pole. And as he turns, I realize how thick and long he is. He was probably, I would have to say he was 78 to 82 pounds. He was, oh, wow. So he rolls off me. And as he rolls off me, this 52 comes in front of me and I shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anti-climax <laughs> that was a great story i was like man he's gonna get this fish he's gonna get this fish yeah, yeah. It? so as good as that fish was it was still a little bit disappointing for you oh yeah you know the, the funny thing is there was you know you get all those thoughts going through your head and i'm thinking to myself i'm about to break my gun record with a pole like that's yeah. not right, you know. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when you have those fish and you can see them, and it's almost like before you've even pulled the trigger or let the band go, you, you you're actually you're you can already see yourself holding the fish up in a photo on the boat, and uh, something always goes wrong in those situations. 
Yeah, yeah, that's big big mistake number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What about this uh, this sixty eight point five pound world record with the gun, mate? How um, was it a notable fish as well? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really something. Uh, I had a similar experience. I've seen a couple really big fish in my lifetime that are over seventy five pounds, and that was uh, a dive before the other time that it happened to me was a dive before that fish. I had dropped down, and it. So if you can picture it, there's a there's a reef, okay, with these big boulders, and you come from up current of those boulders. And what you want to do ideally is fall down just in front of them, glide into them, and then look past them. And in, in past them is a flat area of pebble. And the bass stack up on their bellies just laying out of the current behind them. So if you can make the right approach, you can get in there without them even knowing you're, you're present. If you come over the top, it scares them all away. Uh, so yeah. I dropped down. I'm, I'm diving uh, with my buddy, uh, John Warnock, and um, I make a very fast dive. I pump up quick. I go straight down, and I fall right in the right spot. I know where I am. I slide into these boulders, and I look ahead of me, and there's a fish that I gauge at 20 pounds, and then a fish behind it that I gauge at 48 pounds. So I want the 48-pounder. So, But the problem is the 20-pounder is in front of me. So I wait. I know I got plenty of time. I just hit the bottom. I'm just going to wait till something shifts. You know, I try, I was considering p- raising my gun up over the top of the 20, but I felt the angle was wrong. So I, I had time. So I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And as I'm doing this, unbeknownst to me, John had come down late and came down over my right hand shoulder and from the top of the boulder shot the 20 pounder. So at first it was just sheer chaos. I didn't know what the hell happened. I get the, the line hits my snorkel, almost knocks my mask off, you know. The fish go off, you know, the big fish goes off. And I turn around and come up and I get back in the boat. And my, my son was driving the boat. And I said, uh, John just shot a friggin' 20-pounder, you know. <laughs> so I said to him, what the hell are you doing shooting 20 pounders, John? And he, he says, he looks at me like I'm stupid. And he goes, it's 47, 48 pounds. He throws the boat to 48 pounder. I don't know what I was looking at. I must have been looking at it. 85. The other fish was so much bigger. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. So that was disappointing. But, but two dives later, I shot over the top of that rock pile and landed in 58 feet. And I turned around and looked up current. And I waited a minute. I saw some movement. A fish went by. And then this beautiful 70-pound fish comes off the, the, the height of the reef up high and above me. And I brought the pneumatic up. had a perfect position. Squeezed the trigger. Broke the spine. Fish rolled right over. Brought it up. Felt its eyes. The instant I felt its eyes, I knew how big it was. And the funny thing, at the time, my son, who was driving the boat that day, was nine years old. And he has always been impressed amazed by the thought of a world record so every time i put a 50 pounder in a boat he looks at me and goes dad is that the world record and i go no that's not the world record (laughs) (laughs) the boat and i get up on the gunnel to take a look just to think to to be sure i i've got what i think i've got and he looks up at me and says dad is that the world record i said that's the world record (laughs) (laughs) Far out. What an outfit there. That's a pretty wicked story. <laughs> Bloody good story. 
Hey, what's what's um what's your favourite hunting technique, and how do how do you apply it effectively? And, and and probably better yet, how do you teach it to others, David? Sounds like you spend a lot of time, you know, laying on the bottom and, and looking around at what's around you, and and getting your kind of position correct with current and you know sort of the topography around you. Like, how do you? Is that kind of your favourite go-to technique? Yeah. So the way I instruct what what I instruct people to do is. Uh, you get down to the bottom. First of all, when you're coming down to the bottom, uh, you don't want to kick the last 15, 20 feet because uh, I found that uh, for whatever reason, fins freak fish out more than anything. I mean, they mm. just freak them out. And for the same reason, when you're on the bottom, you really want to pin those fins down against the bottom and not let them wave up at all. You know. Um, and then, uh, you know, I tell people on the way down to take a look around and find a nice big boulder. And if they can't get that on their off shoulder, just to break them up a little bit to help them hide. Um, and then, uh, you know, you kind of lay down and assess the area. And generally what I do is if I don't see a lot of movement, if I don't see activity, if I don't see small fish and medium fish moving around, I'll move forward, but I do it very carefully. I keep my fins very low. I kick with a short burst and then I walk my hands across the rocks until I start to see movement. And then I'll retuck myself and reposition myself. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, like there in Rhode Island, the water's pretty cold. How much weight are you wearing on your suit? Yeah, I try to dive light. I try to keep people diving light. You know, I mean, obviously, as you know, we, we want to float at ten feet. But uh, I'm I'm wearing most of the time a five mil suit with about eight pounds. But you know, you power through the first twenty feet, and then uh, you start to compress and drop quicker and quicker. How do you teach guys to keep their feet still? Still, because I mean, I know I I. Used to, I think I'm still guilty of it. Your, your, your feet just start sticking up. How do you how do you tuck them? Well, so what I tell people to do is actually lock them into the rocks. What I'll do is if I've got a rock on my left and right of my foot, I kind of spread my legs out until I feel something grab it. And I'll just lock them right in there, keep my oh. toes out flat, you know, keep my toes out flat, and keep those blades pressed against the bottom. There's two factors that freak fish out, and, and, and I'm convinced it's the fins and heart rate. You know, that's and that, of course, that's training, but uh, a real low heart rate will uh, make a big difference when it comes to uh, having fish close that gap and getting really close to you. All right, good. So, you, you encourage guys to spend a little bit more time relaxing on their breathe up, and then when they get on the bottom, lock their fins in somewhere in a good position, keep their head low, keep their body low, let the fish do the work. I mean, I tell everybody, you know, just let the fish do the work. The thing is, if you start going, if you see a fish and go after them, the odds of getting them are slim. Uh, and, and they they have that curiosity factor and you got to let that work for you, you know? And so as long as you're positioned properly, um, and you're just staying in one spot, not moving, your heart rate's low, uh, you've got your head down low, um, your fins are tucked in that most of the time, those fish will work around you and they'll come work into you. Oh, I should say. Yeah. Awesome. All right. You've spent a lot of time in the water. Um, what's one of the toughest situations you've faced in the ocean and, um, what, what did you kind of learn from it? Well, uh, I think we have some of the toughest conditions here because of uh, the techniques mm-hmm. that we use. Um, and when I say that, the reason is that uh, what we do is we bring the boat up over the fish, uh, and then uh, you got to jump in the water. You got to take three breaths because of this. We have high current here, so you really can't mm-hmm. spend a lot of time breathing up. You jump in the boat, of course, your heart rate's up a little bit. You take three breaths, and you got to go. Yeah, so I've learned to use uh, self taught yoga techniques essentially to get myself calm down you know and 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 i think one of the best things i found is that last breath you know where you do like a purge breath where you blow it all the way out and you concentrate on your heart rate and you get that heart rate to drop down nice and low and 
and I think you can recover or not necessarily recover, but you can get ready to go quicker with a lower heart rate. Okay. All right. Cool. So, I mean, you've had lots of scary stories with current there as uh, that's kind of the main, main factor diving off there for, for, for guys getting them used to the current. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you know, it takes some learning, uh, a bit of a learning curve, you know, you got to come down and a lot of guys want to face up current and you're better off usually facing down current, you know, so you can move your gun a little better. Um, yeah. when you need to, but uh, yeah, current, you know, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not that bad. And a, a lot, a lot of the diving we do off sort of Brisbane here uh, in Australia there, um, we, we do a lot of drift diving as well and there's a fair amount of current and, you know, a lot of the fish we find are on the sort of the front of the reef as you're coming onto the current side of it. Is that sort of the same there for you? No, we tend to find them on the backside. At times we'll be on the front side, but most of our fish, t- we've had a, a heavy structure here. And so what they do is they sort of, um, they lay behind that structure and as the bait gets washed over the top of these rocks, uh, they hit it. You know, they'll lay there, look up, and then uh, as that base is uh, disoriented and washed around, they, they feed on them. All right, cool. Well, oh, wow. What's some of your other target species there, apart from the strippers? Um, and it sounds like you're... you <laughs> you say strippers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know what you've been up to in China. <laughs> That was my nickname for striped bass. I was calling them strippers. Um, but Turbo straight away had other ideas, but um, as usual. <laughs> yeah, right, eh? <laughs> what else? What, what other fish, uh, what other tail are you chasing over there? <laughs> oh, stop it. You can't do this. Uh, you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> All right, no, seriously, what other, what, what other species are you chasing over there apart from um, striped bass? Uh, we got... Uh... Uh, we got scup, porgies. We've got uh, blackfish, bluefish. You know, we've got codfish. We get codfish as well here. Um, those are those are primary species. We've got we've got an influx of black sea bass in the last couple of years, which is nice. They're beautiful eating fish. And they're quite a big fish too, aren't they? No, not here. The, the, the black sea bass we have get to be twelve pounds if you're lucky. Ah, uh, okay, right. Yeah, we, we talked to um, uh, uh, early in the early days of the podcast. We talked to Doug Peterson, who sort of lives in your neck of the woods. He used to do a bit of spearfishing there. He wrote a he wrote a bit of a, like a get started spearfishing book, and he, he was good to talk to. He talked a little bit about some of the other sort of entry level species you get off the beach there. What's your favourite species to eat um, in your area from your area? Black, black sea bass. Okay. They're wonderful eating. They're actually in the grouper family. Oh, okay, they're nice eating fish. They're really good. This uh, the the striped sea bass. Um, what do they what do they eat like? What would you are they good eating fish? Are they you know renowned eating fish or? Oh, the stripers. Yeah, they're they're a real meaty fish. They're delicious fish. Um, they grill well. They stew well. Uh, you know, like fish soups that type of thing. Uh, they don't. Yep. They, they you could you, they fry okay, but they're be, they're really nice on the grill. It's a nice grilled fish. Heavy meat. You know, real yep. meat. All right, cool. Let's get more into the striped bass. So we can chat in the Veterans Vault. Uh, this is the part of the show where we sort of ask our special guests to take us deep into their area of expertise. And, I mean, you you, you run a, a spearfishing guiding business. You've got spirit charters there. 
Um, like yesterday, you know, some of your your, your customers shot some phenomenal fish. Um, let's talk a little bit more about striped bass, but also how you kind of get other people to come in and and replicate your success with with hunting and targeting them. So, um, what what time of the year do you target them? I guess first off, and um, what's their range? We we start from June fifteenth and go into uh, late October with our striped bass. Uh, then they run up to the Hudson River and uh, they they winter over there. Um, so we've got a fairly long season with them, you know. And what time of the year do you start shooting like the really good ones? Is it this kind of time of the year, or are they all year all year? No, we get them all year, but uh, probably the best time for our, our really big bass. Most of my sixties uh, and fifties have come uh, from. June 25th until July 10th, right in that window. Ah, okay. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll, there's a good chance we'll take another four or five fifties. I mean, not to say, you know, and who knows, maybe a 60, but um, mm. yeah, no, they're, 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 they're here at other times. They're just, they just seem to be more ice uh, concentrated during that time period. How far is the motor out from Rhode Island to Block Island? Seven miles to the Northern point, And then it's about seven miles down the Island. Uh, so it's, it's about a four, 14 mile jog. Okay. And, uh, I guess most of the time you guys are fishing the open side. Yeah. We fish the South face, which is the ocean side. Okay, uh, cool. a lot of, a lot of current, a lot of structure. Uh, it's just, a, it's ideal conditions for straight bass over there. Okay. So what sort of structure, I mean, you've talked about some of the reef, what other structure are you dealing with up there? It's, it's, it's all reef. It's all, um, heavy rock structure. I mean, some of our boulders are, uh, you know, 25 feet by 25 feet they're enormous you know oh wow and, uh, oh yeah it's re- it's a fascinating bottom and and you know the more structure you have the better i mean these that's what these you know as they call them rockfish i mean they just they love structure and it's an interesting thing i've over the years from doing this for so long i've always punched numbers on every school of bass i've ever run into on the island and around the island and so yeah. now i have about 450 waypoints and it's interesting on every waypoint it's it's a rock mass somewhere yeah, so yeah. I'll run from waypoint to waypoint to waypoint, and in between those waypoints, there's nothing. There's a lot yeah. of water, and, and when you get on top of the right one, boom, there they are. And they're always they always go back to the same places. Okay, and have you found like obviously you've been in the water for forty years? Are the fish numbers the same as when you started, or are they better now, or is it worse, or how, what? What have you seen? I believe they're better. I'm seeing more fish. I mean, this, this 10, 50 pound straight bass this year is the highest, uh, the, the, the most fifties we've taken in one season. Yeah. So I, I believe that I'm seeing more and more of them. So what do you attribute that to? Have, have the local laws changed? Is fishing decreased or what's, what's, what's happening? Do you believe? Yeah, they, they've, they've kept pretty good track of these bass. And about, uh, two years ago, they decreased the limit from two to one. And that's had a, a major effect, I believe. Okay. That's really had a major effect, you know. Yeah, I mean that, that is. That, that, so you're only allowed one fish each, one big, one big one each. One one fish any size, twenty eight inches or above. So okay. anything oh, basically wow. twelve pounds or bigger. So no wonder you were kind of like, um, you know, going, "Oh, John shot a twenty pounder." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, that's pretty interesting. You've that's quite interesting. You've got to be really selective and make sure that's the fish you want to shoot. I mean, it's a full day out in the boat for one fish. Yeah. I mean, well, you got to we, make sure that you make the most of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, a forty. I mean, the average weight that we put in the boat's around forty-one pounds, and that's a beautiful fish. I mean, so you take a forty forty pound fish, 39, 42. I mean, that's a that's a hell of a fish. We've got a lot of big fish here. 
You, you actually don't you, don't. you don't need a lot of fish if you shoot a forty-pound one. Um, I mean, how many do you want? Uh, yeah, and then once once we once we get all the bass in the boat uh, and everyone has their their striper, we go and we fish for other fish. We fish for fluke or scup or black blackfish or we get triggers here as well. I didn't mention that we get triggers as well. Ah, okay. So you know we have other species. All right, and um, so I mean, you take out all experience levels on your boat. Um, if you've got some sort of fresher guys, maybe you've got a charter full of guys and they're all fairly inexperienced. What are kind of your your biggest messages you give to them to successfully sort of hunt a striped bass? Like, what are you really trying to impress upon them so that they can have some success on their day out in the charter? So, so basically, uh, from start to finish, uh, I get them in the water. I, I I tell them how to breathe up. Uh, I tell them how to recover, and we we do some training. And very commonly, I can get guys into forty feet of water in a day. Um, and when I can do that, I tell them to, uh, you know. Dive down, take their time, nice, slow, easy kicks. Stop kicking when you're 15 to 20 feet from the bottom and just coast into them. Let the fish scatter. Lay down, get that rock on your off arm. Get your chin down against the ground. Get your fins tucked in tight. And then just look over your gun. Don't move around. One of the things with our striped bass is that when you move at all, the school, when you're in the school, one fish bounces, the whole school bounces, and then it takes another 20 seconds for the school to resettle. So that, I, you really don't want to do that. You really just want to look straight over your gun and wait until a good fish crosses the gun and pull the trigger. It's as simple as that. All right, cool, cool. I can see how you're um, replicating kind of <coughs> results with, with some of these guys because um, they're pretty easy to follow instructions, and I can see it sort of working with a full day in the boat. So. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. David, what um, we've we've been over structure. What depth are you diving consistently? Where where would you, where do you see good fish? Or you know, are you in sixty foot? You're seeing better fish than you are in forty foot. What, what what's the sort of the idea there? Our fish here are for the most part in thirty eight to fifty four feet. They're right in that wow. that area. They just for whatever reason that's where the bait is and that's where they are. Okay. So one day they're in 38 and uh, the next day, I mean, we'll get them up in the shallows as well. There's days when I will, we'll take 40 pounders in eight feet of water, but for the most part, it's in that, that depth range. Yeah. I actually, uh, I actually watched one of your videos um, on YouTube and uh, it looked pretty shallow and there was some big fish in there. I was getting pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, it looked yeah. like it was eight feet. I thought I can handle that. I'm going to book a ticket. Yeah, it looked yeah. really, really good. There was some really big fish taken too. Yeah, in, in July, we'll get them up in the shallows and it's really something. I mean, they'll, they'll slide right up into, uh, you know, 12, 18 feet of water and you've got these big schools of beautiful fish. It's pretty neat. It's pretty, you, you know, you're looking at them from the top, pumping up, going, oh, my God, you know, and you just drop down. And- <laughs> sometimes that's worse for your breath hold too, isn't it? Like when you, that, like that, when you, when you get a, surrounded by a, a school of large-bodied fish and they're all over that sort of 10-kilo, 25-pound mark, like it's just so exciting. And uh, it, that the hardest part is being patient and choosing the right fish, I guess. There, there are times when, and I tell people, I instruct people to do the same, there are times when I'll drop down into a school of fish like this, and even even to this day, after the thousands of times that I've done it, I still get so excited at times that I lose track of my heart rate and I can't control it. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll, I'll I'll look down at the sand. I'll look, take my eyes off the fish entirely, and I'll look down at the sand for about 10 seconds, drop my heart rate down, pick my head back up, and start hunting them again. 
and they, they uh, never uh, leave because as you calm down and you, and you have no demeanor, they're just going to stay there and look at you out of curiosity anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, nice tip. Nice tip. Hey, guys, have you thought about buying a freediving watch? I think lots of us have. Many of the guests on our show swear by them. If you are sort of a little bit confused and overwhelmed by thinking about which freediving watch to buy, I've got some solution for you today. Go to spearfishing.com.au forward slash computers and have a look in there. There's an Adreno how-to video about how to choose a good dive watch. Now, one of the watches that gets mentioned a lot on the show is the Sunto D4. And they've lately come out with the D4F, which is a freediving uh, dedicated watch. It cuts out a lot of the features that we don't need that scuba divers want. Uh, so it doesn't have tables and things like that, which is just a nice streamlined a simple watch to help you monitor your dive times and more importantly your surface intervals. So go to spearfishing.com.au forward slash computers and watch their how-to vid on how to choose a good um, freediving watch. If you do decide to buy a watch from spearfishing.com.au use the code NoobSpero and save $20 on every purchase over $200 and support the NoobSpero podcast at the same time. For our long-time listeners out there, who remembers the episode with Michael Takash and Jesse Cripps? Well, Tucker, the cover tart, is at it again. <laughs> he's he's on the cover of Spearing Magazine. I just had a look at his uh, his website for uh, Underwater Ally Productions, and he he's been on just about every magazine in the world. But he's been on Spearing Magazine a couple of times, and uh, Jesse's responsible for those great shots of him. And if you'd like to know more about Spearing Magazine, head to spearingmagazine.com and check out this wonderful publication. We love it, don't we, Shrek? Yep, and uh, just like you said, Tacker gets more covers on Sparing Magazine than you've had covers on Grinder. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to Sparing Magazine and check out probably the world's highest quality spearfishing publication. <laughs> All right. Let's move, let's move forward. The next, the next part of the show is called um, The Funniest Moment, sort of the funniest thing you've seen out out on the water. Um, we've had some crackers on the show, lots of poo stories. Someone got humped by a turtle once. Um, what's one of the funniest things you've seen out there, David? Funniest thing I ever saw was me and a, a uh, friend, Joe Patzel, were uh, commercially fishing for bass in early June. Very yep. cold yep. water, probably uh, 48 degrees, windy, cold day. And one of those days where no matter what you wear, seven mil, you're freezing. You're freezing yep, your ass yep. off. So we're diving as hard as we can. We've got uh, a five fish limit each on commercial. And we've got now, um, I don't know, we had like six fish. And we're having a hard time getting the last four. Because there just weren't a lot of fish around. It was early yet. And uh, we get in the boat. And I'm sitting on the, on the port gunnel. And he's on the starboard gunnel across from each other. And we kind of got our head down and our legs spread. And I said, man, it's cold. And he said, God, he goes, kid, I'm freezing. I go, I know I'm freezing too. He goes, no, kid, I'm freezing like I got nothing on. I go, I'm freezing too. I know it's cold. And as I say that, I look up and he's ripped belly button to his asshole and his, <laughs> and his nuts are hanging out. He's been diving for an hour. I was laughing so hard. I, he's going, what? I'm going, I, I can't even breathe. So what, what, what is it? I couldn't even tell him. Uh, uh, I've heard some funny stories about commercial diving. So you were actually spearfishing commercially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been spearfishing commercially for bass for 25 years. Wow, 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 wow. No wonder you know so much about chasing them. Um, 
that that was good. I, I enjoyed that. Um, I'd actually like to see that happen to Turbo one day, especially if we're diving somewhere cold. <laughs> Bring him here. <laughs> He's going to be small, I don't <laughs> Bring him here. We can make it happen, you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, cool. That, <laughs> not, not, you're not your mother's surfing wetsuit. No, no, I got a better one. <laughs> All, right, cool. All right, cool. I guess we, we next part of the show is sort of dive bag. What's in your dive bag? So head to toe, I mean, you dive in cold water, chasing sort of the same species. What equipment are you using these days from sort of head to toe? Um, when I teach classes, I, my, my big thing is keep it simple, stupid, or keep yeah. it simple. Yeah, you know? yeah so, so basically, uh, you know, I nothing fancy i mean i i keep it as simple as can be you know um one of one of the one of the uh one of the tricks that i that i've altered on my guns that i haven't seen a lot of people do it in fact i think terry moss put it in his new book i was in his chapter on striped bass and uh and i gave it to him i actually gave him photographs in that book and i think it applies to anyone when that's shooting big fish and one of the most difficult things i've always had with these fish is that if you connect your mono to the back of your shaft it mm. tears off within four, within five or six fish you break your shaft off mm. so i couldn't figure out how to make that better and I, it was an evolution of different things i ran dyneema from the shaft up and then i was wrapping some bands what i ended up doing was taking a short piece of dyneema like a 1.9 millimeter dy- dyneema putting it through the shaft the back of the shaft and then just tying an overhand knot on that and then attaching my mono to that loop Okay. I can I can now with that run the entire season of taking big fish one after the other and never have it cut through. Oh, wicked, wicked. All right. But aside from that, you know, I mean, just the regular stuff, the same stuff you're using, man. I mean, I use a light, a, a soft fin. I, I do not like stiff fins. I like, uh, you know, proper kick is more important. Um, yeah. Low volume masks. Uh, you know, simple snorkels. I don't like perch valves or anything like that. You're not sponsored or anything like that. You just you're not really loyal to any brands or. I am to Mars. I'm sponsored okay. by Mars. And, and, and Neuritic pole spears. Okay. Wow, you'd be a good man to sponsor with a pole spear with the big stri- uh, stripers you're taking down. I was going to say strippers again. I held off. <laughs> <laughs> you're making me check my pockets for dollar bills. <laughs> dollar bills, you stingy bugger. That's terrible. <laughs> Turbos. They got rid of the $2 bills in America. Uh, oh, Turbo's shit. throwing Benjamins cool at him. girl's got eight. Um, I don't know. All, all right, cool. Um, so, so you like the Marius gear? Are you wearing a Marius suit as well? Yeah, I wear the Marius suit, 5.5 mil suit, and, and uh, I shoot the Marius guns. Uh, yeah. They've, uh, they, they work great. You know, they're, they're pretty much bulletproof. David, I wanted to ask you, uh, you use reels over float line, uh, floats and rig line. Why is that? Um because of the high current, because you're getting in and out of the boat, uh, I prefer reels if they're set up properly. You know, if, as long as you make sure every dive you don't have any tangles in the reel, that type of thing. And one of the ways that I teach people to use the reel, or I insist that they use the reel, is that once they've made the shot to palm the reel so that it doesn't allow it to backlash on a heavy hit from a fish. And if you do that, you'll cons- mm-hmm. they'll consistently work all the time. They're bulletproof. Mm-hmm. What reels are you running? What brand of reel? The, the Mars set up on, okay. the, on the mars all right cool okay and um this the serrano um sorry pneumatic is that a dry barrel gun as well no that's not a dry barrel they, okay. they come out with one but uh no i'm not shooting the dry barrel so this thing's loud yeah it's loud man <laughs> <laughs> you can jump jump right out of your fins if you're laying next to it yeah yeah i bet you would i was just 
Is it time to top up your t-shirt drawer? Then head over to noobspiro.com and get your hands on our black shirt or our white shirt. Pretty simple. They're 35 bucks Australian each. Use the code free shipping until Christmas time this year and top up your t-shirt drawer with something you actually like. And support the show as well while you're doing it. That's just noobspiro.com. Thank you. Chances are, if you're listening to the Noob Spiro podcast, you love hearing other people's adventures, stories, tips and techniques, and what they have learned from around the world. Now, Spearing Magazine, Noob Spiro's partner, have got the best spearfishing magazine in the world, and it is jam-packed with stories from all over the globe. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, you can buy yourself a subscription to the magazine and get a free hat or long-sleeve shirt. That's spearingmag.com. All right, the last part of the show, David, is called Spiro Q&A. It's kind of a faster pace around of questions, and then um, and then we'll head off. We might find out a little bit more about how people can get in touch with Spirit Charters. But first of all, uh, what is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Ever been given for spearfishing? Um, maintain a heart, low heart, heart rate, slow movement, avoid any form of demeanor whatsoever while hunting. Uh- all right, cool. Who has been the most influential person in your spearfishing and why? Dave Sipperly. Uh I trained with him for a long time for the United States Nationals and just learned to, learned a host of information from him. Yeah, cool. And uh, if you had to start all over again, um, I mean, it's completely different. Um, you know, spearfishing is completely different now than it was when you started a long time ago. But if you if you started all over again now, what would you do differently? Not a thing. <laughs> I wouldn't change it, man. <laughs> All right, and uh, what what current ch- challenges do you have in your own spearfishing, uh, and how are you approaching them? What current challenges? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a it's a never ending work on extending breath hold and, and keeping your heart rate down and 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 keeping condition to uh, to do that. It's always always been the same, you know, never changes. It's a, it's you know if you if you really want to be great at it, it it requires work. You have to do breath hold techniques. You have to do air packing techniques. Uh, you have to maintain a good cardiovascular uh, uh, regimen. You know, and that um and at fifty one, you you're fit as a fiddle. You're still taking out these uh, these things. Is the spearfishing is, is it probably one of the best types of exercise? Do you think? No, oh, it's funny. The guys in the boat today thought I was thirty five. <laughs> that's, that's pretty common, you know. And they said, "What? What? Why, why is that? Is that from spearfishing?" I said, "No, that's from chewing tobacco." But <laughs> uh, uh, that's pretty cool. All right, um, all right. So, Spirit Charters um, goes out of Rhode Island um, during the summer season, particularly. Um, you operate what, what? What? What time of the year you operate, David? And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, uh, Mid June until uh, late October. And uh, I've got a website that's uh, www.spearfishcharters.com. All right, cool. We'll link that up in the show notes. And uh, you're on Facebook. Um, have you guys got an Instagram page and a bloody fa- uh, YouTube? You've got a YouTube channel? Yeah, YouTube's under um, uh, my name. And then uh, the, uh, the uh, Instagram is under Spirit Charters. No worries. I'll link that up in the show notes. So if people want to come and have a look, just pump in uh, David Hoshman, Noob Spiro, and there'll be links there to all of your material. Um, awesome to have you on the show, David. Uh, have you got any sort of parting tips or advice or guidance for our audience? Uh, I put you on the spot there, didn't I? Just um, get. 
So for, for our local guys, I'll say this. One of the things I see guys do is drop fish because they allow the fish slack. Uh, I, I wanted to mention this before, so I might as well mention it now. So one of the things I tell people is once they hit a fish, to keep tension on the fish and then get to the surface, obviously, and recover, but never let the slack off because, uh, you know, whether the floppers set up correctly or not, uh, by giving the fish slack, it's a good chance you could lose the fish. Okay, awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good piece of parting advice. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. <clears throat> cool. All right. All right, David. David, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Yeah, awesome. We uh, really enjoyed that talk with about uh, striped sea bass daily. Uh, Shrek, you learned a little thing or two? Yeah, and strippers too. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you say it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. Th- thanks, David. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Wow. That interview was a ton of fun. Uh, David Hoshman, what a champion over there at Spirit Charters. Now, one of the things that really stuck out to me in the show was just sort of bedding down on the bottom and really uh, locking your fins in somewhere. I mean, what a great tip and uh, just a really practical way to, um, you know, stop them from scaring fish. Uh, A real um, good visual giveaway if you haven't got them secured somehow. So, magic interview. Now, next week's, or sorry, in a fortnight, we're back with an interview with Pat Swanson from New Zealand. Now, I did this interview in-house in New Zealand with him. Pat and I have uh, ended up becoming good buddies, and uh, what an absolute champion, man. He's um, served in various capacities in uh, New Zealand spearfishing for a number of years. Um, uh, Also the three-time New Zealand champion, and uh, very well regarded in the sport with lots of friends and some champion fish shot over his time in the sport. Really enjoyed chatting with him, so tune in in Fortnite my chat with Pat Swanson. Thanks for listening today, guys. Thank you for joining us on today's show. As always, we've had a blast recording it. And as we all know, every good Spiro needs a good supplier of good equipment. Now, you can find that good equipment at spearfishing.com.au. That's right, our show sponsor, Adreno. Their online store can be found at spearfishing.com.au. And if you use the code NoobSpiro at checkout, you'll save yourself $20 on all purchases over $200. So get online and check those guys out. Thanks for listening today, guys. Look, if you are seriously interested in becoming better at spearfishing, then go over to Amazon.com, get your hands on an ebook that Turbo and I have written. Yeah, that's right, guys. We have put pen to paper and we've come up with 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. That's right. Head over to Amazon.com and leave us a review because the only people to review the book so far were Levi's mum and my mum. So... 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Thank you. Thanks to our mums too, our two favourite ladies. Yeah, thanks for listening today, guys. See ya.